So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. I have a best-selling author, a sales speaker, a sales philosopher, and, and not only has, has this guest written three books on sales, but his first book, Solution Selling, was voted by McGraw-Hill the second best-selling book, business book of all time. So, Mike Bosworth, thank you so much for joining me on my show. I'm happy to be here, Tony. Yeah. Uh, it's an absolute privilege and an honor. So, tell me, I'll always like to know about my guest journey of sales. So, tell me where it began for you. Well, I, um, I grew up really poor, you know, never went out to restaurants, you know, no doctors, no dentists. And uh, then I was in the Vietnam War, and uh, in Vietnam, I got a chance to run a computer system. I, I ended up running the officer inventory for Vietnam. And so when I got out of Vietnam, I, I wrote IBM a letter and said, I've just been running one of your computers for a year in Vietnam. I'd like to work for you. And they said, Mike, we think you should go to college. Yeah. So, so I... Uh, went to college on the GI Bill. Yeah. And then I, in 1972, I had the good fortune of joining Xerox Computer Services. Now, most people know that Xerox has invented more technology they didn't make money on than any company in the history of the world. Mm. The whole desktop, the icons, the trash cans, that whole thing. I had a demo of that in 1976. Wow. Xerox invented Ethernet. They never made any money at it. Really? But didn't what most people don't know is that Xerox invented cloud computing. No, I didn't and, know that. I had no and idea. And in 1969, Xerox started Xerox Computer Services in Marina Del Rey, California. And when I joined them in 72, they had 50 Los Angeles clients, city governments, manufacturing companies, distribution companies, all hooked up to our central computer with phone lines, dumb terminals, and we had real-time, fully integrated transaction processing for general ledger, payables, receivables, wow. inventory, everything. And in 1972, they had a job that was so shitty that none of their senior people would take, yeah. and that was the help desk. Yeah. So, I joined them as a, on the help desk for a year, and it was a stressful job, but I ended up learning how all those job titles, whether they're doing accounts payable or processing orders or planning production or managing benefits, I learned how all those job titles used to do their job before they had my product, yeah. and how they did their jobs differently and so much better with my product. Yeah. So I understood the usage. Yeah. And our revenue model back then was the whole company was focused on customer usage. Yeah. Because if they didn't use it, there was no revenue. Yeah. We billed them for the amount of room our computer took, their data took in our computer. We billed them for every carriage return, 2.2 cents. Yeah. And we build them for every print line. Yeah. So they didn't use it, no revenue. Yeah. So my whole paradigm was we got to get these customers using this stuff, yeah. doing their jobs better than they did before yeah. using our cloud-based 
interactive accounting system. Yeah. Then I went out in the field for another year and a half face to face. And now I got to meet the customers I've been talking to on the phone for a year. And most of them, when they first met me, they said, oh, we thought you were taller, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. I guess my voice is bigger than my body. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, after two and a half years with the company, they came to me and said, Mike, we want you to go into sales. And I had two answers, no and hell no. (laughs) The no was because in my two and a half years experience with the company, every client I worked with, the salespeople had told them the system would do things it wouldn't do. Yeah. All of them. So I do a back, and in order to keep them, you know, I had to reset their expectations and and get them successful. So I had a very low opinion of those salespeople. And then to make matters worse, Mm. my violent alcoholic father was a salesman. And that was the last thing I ever wanted to do was to be like him. Yeah. So I said, no. They came back about a week later and said, Mike, we really think you'd be good at sales. We want you to try it. We're going to give you, give it to you in writing that if you try for six months, one, you can keep your techie salary. You don't have to drop down to the seller base. And two, you can have your old job back if you hate sales. And they said, if you sell anything, even though you've got the, the technical base, you can keep the commission. You know, so, so you've got a financial incentive too. Now, they really weren't worried, Tony, about that because our CEO came from IBM. He was Ross Perot's boss at IBM. Whoa. He was a magical leader. And all the salespeople Xerox Computer Services hired back then were typically IBM salespeople, 35 to 40 years old, giving them a chance to sell something new. And back then, the fastest anyone had ever made their sale coming on board was nine months. Most of them took uh, 12 to 15 months to make their first sale. So they weren't too worried about me breaking the bank when they gave me the six-month trial. But I had a level of knowledge that the rest of them didn't have. And this was the whole key to solution selling is... uh, when all of us, every employee that uh, joined Xerox Computer Services, no matter what you did, you went through product school. They wanted all 250 employees to understand the product. Yeah. But it was really demo school. And so you couldn't graduate until you could demo every application. Yeah. So all those ex-IBM salespeople, after their six weeks of product training, you go out, and on the first sales call, what do they say? Okay, can I show, can I you, a show demo? you a demo? Of course. Right? I don't know anything else. And that's one of the biggest problems in sales is yeah. people are leading with demos when they have no clue what the buyer's needs are. Yeah. Right? So they're prescribing without a diagnosis. Yeah. When I went out there, the only thing I didn't know how to do was cold call. So my yeah. boss... He took me out and back then it was smokestacking. We'd go into an industrial park. Our marketing people would tell us, 
here are the manufacturing companies that are perfect for us. They have a minimum yeah. of 50 employees. Yeah. They have this IC, SIC code. Yeah. They assemble. So we walk into the lobby, go up to the receptionist, and I, I'd say, hi, my name's Mike Bosworth. I'm with Xerox Computer Services, and I'd like to speak with your materials manager. Yeah. She get on the phone, call the materials manager, say, I got this guy from Xerox out here in the lobby that wants to talk to you. Yeah. Guess how many came out? Zero. 80%. No. But because of the because of Xerox, because of the name. Yeah. Because of the curiosity of Xerox. And he's an, a materials manager who has been out of school 20, 25 years. And one, no salesman ever calls on the materials manager. Yeah, fair. And two, back then, the only way he could learn about innovative technology is to see salespeople yeah, from that's innovative technology companies. Good, good show. So, so back then, if you would, it wasn't just Xerox, if I would have said IBM or Honeywell yeah. or anything, he knew that the only way he could learn about manufacturing innovation is to talk to salespeople. They didn't have the internet. Yeah. So salespeople had knowledge power back then. So he'd come out because he's curious. Okay. But as soon as he came out, I'd see his face drop and they'd look at their watch. Because I was I was 28 years old. Yeah. He's 48. And I I'd see him, he'd look at me and he'd go like this, and he'd look. As, how long do I have to be polite to this guy? Right? <laughs> now, all my peers were saying, can I show you a demo? Close. I said, so you're the materials manager, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I share a story with you about another materials manager less than a mile from here who's been able to eliminate his shortages? Love it. Guess what? Per, guess how many people said no to that story? I reckon two percent. <laughs> None. Yeah, I love it. What because, a great, what a great elevator pitch. Love it. Well, the um, the number one step in a buy cycle when somebody goes from not looking at what you sell to looking, the number one step is curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing stronger than pure curiosity if you're doing B2B sales. Yeah. You know, if you're a financial controller and I say, Tony, can I tell you a story about a, 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 another financial controller I've worked with who's been able to yeah. solve a problem that you haven't solved yet? Yeah. You're going to listen to that story. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had those stories because I worked with that guy. I installed that thing. So I knew exactly how shitty his job was before it. And so I told like a 60 second story yeah. with a setting, a struggle, you know, how bad his job was. The CFO was mad at him because he had too much inventory. The VP of manufacturing was mad at him because he was missing a shipment schedule, yeah. all pointing the finger at him. 18 months ago, he discovered that Xerox now had a way to replan his entire plant overnight. Yeah. He made the decision 18 months ago to be an innovator. We didn't have any other customers. He was brave enough to go first. Yeah. And here we are today. His inventory was 8 million. Now it's 3.8 million. Yeah. 
is, you know, past you backlog, that to that. And then go, but enough about me. What's going on around here? Yeah, love it. And that story, I was doing it intuitively. Yeah. Right. So I didn't really become conscious of how to teach that story to salespeople to many years later. But that story, typically they'd say, well, you want to come in and look around? Yeah. And they'd end up taking me back through the plant for an hour. And I got to do all my discovery questions. Yeah. Because at the end of that 60 second story, he, 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 the emotional conclusions he came to, well, oh, this guy looks like a kid, but sounds like he understands how shitty my job is. It sounds like he's helped other people like me yeah. solve my biggest problem. I want to know more. Yeah. Well, well, share with us, Mike, maybe two or three of the discovery questions you'd have probably asked. Oh, once I'd go in there, I'd say, well, what happens when after you've done your production planning, which typically took three weeks of flip chart paper all over the wall, what happens if halfway through that cycle, one of your vendors calls up and says those hundred widgets that are supposed to be there on Monday are going to be two weeks late. Yeah. And I put them in jeopardy. Yeah. And then I say, at Blackman, my client, who I hope, I'm hoping I can get you to come over and see his plant next week, he would simply go to the system, remove those, move those hundred widgets out two weeks, push a button, and he'd have a new schedule. Love it. Where, you know, so anyway, you know, I, I basically yeah. create the, you know, and is you mentioned the knife for the pain and create a vision of a solution hurt and rescue sales is hurt and rescue yeah because you mentioned obviously it starts the process starts with curiosity and yeah. then obviously it's about the pain what's the process that you coach and teach mike around the world that that helps you create solution selling as as the second best selling business book well once i am um, well, anyway, we're almost there. So my first five months in sales, yeah, I sold more than anybody in the history of the company had sold in a full year. Wow. Because I was doing it intuitively. Yeah. But what I was doing was so much better than can I show you a demo? Yeah. And, and even today, you know, we're looking for learning management software. Yeah. Every one of these companies... Well, can I show you a demo? Sure. They're all trying to lead with a demo. Hasn't oh changed, right? Hasn't changed. Yeah. That, yeah. And they're basically trying to show me a hundred features, hoping I'll pick 10 that I'll like. Yeah. But anyway, so they made me a manager, moved me to New Jersey, and I went from the number one salesman in the company to the number last sales manager. Because I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. But they luckily for me, they said, Mike, we want you to be our sales trainer since you're the best salesman in the company. So five times a year, they'd fly me back to headquarters and I'd do a week-long sales boot camp. Yeah. And so what I learned when I created Solution Selling, I had a way to get that discovery done. So yeah. my model was a doctor. And I said, everybody in the, in the room, 
If you go to a doctor for the very first time, doctor you've never met before, how does that doctor lead you to the conclusion that they are competent? Yeah. Ask questions, they, right? Oh, do they take you to their glory wall and show you their degree from Columbia Medical <laughs> School? Yeah. Or do they start asking you intelligent questions you're capable of answering? Yeah. And after a few intelligent questions, you go, ah, this guy knows what he's talking he's about. The expert. This guy's good. I I now have confidence in him because of those intelligent discovery questions, right? Yeah. So my idea was I'm going to have the smartest people in the company write the discovery questions and give them to the salespeople and show them with practice, with role play, how to do intelligent discovery. Because I was so uh, tired of salespeople saying, oh yeah, it'll do that when it would. <laughs> yeah. And if I, can, if I can write the diagnostic questions and the vision questions by job title, yeah. then we can rehearse the salespeople how to do much better discovery. Love it. Right. So when I started my solution selling business in 1983, I was really, for all my clients, re-engineering how they do product training. Yeah. So instead of teaching them to do demos, we were teaching them how to do intelligent discovery by buyer persona. Yeah. So problem, over the 20 years I did solution selling before I sold it, Virtually every one of my VP of sales clients would come back to me after six months and say, you know, Mike, my top 20% salespeople love solution selling, but the bottom 80% quit using it within two weeks of the workshop. Really? So the problem I finally figured out in 2008 was gr the great salespeople, i.e. what great salespeople do, is they are able to intuitively develop an emotional connection and build trust with a stranger. The bottom 80% don't know how to connect intuitively. And so, you know, some of these schlocky sales training things will say, well, find that bowling trophy or that fish on the wall or yeah. the golfing trophy and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But, they didn't really know how to connect and build trust. And so when we watch them on calls, the bottom 80%, they'd go to the discovery questions prematurely. Yep. Without having emotional connection and trust first. Yes. And so when they start asking discovery questions, the buyers would go, whoa, you don't know me well enough to yeah. ask me all those questions. Yeah. All right. So my first two books were on powerful discovery <clears throat> sales process, but my last book is for the bottom 80%, how to build a connection first using story before you start asking discovery questions. Love that. And share with my listeners, Mike, some of your top nuggets, your top tips from your book, What Great Salespeople Do, that help build that emotional intelligence, that emotional connection? Well, we, um, we had to figure out how to teach 
people who don't connect intuitively yeah. how to connect, right? Engineers, financial planners, you know, there's a lot of really intelligent left brain people out there trying to sell, but it isn't their nature to connect. Yeah. Right. So we knew that story works because two legged creatures who speak have been on this earth for 200,000 years. And for the vast majority, there was no written language. So everything you learned about tribal knowledge and spices and food and milk, all was story. It was all oral. Mm. And so in 2008, I really started to discover the true power of story where they, they put somebody into one of those MRI things and yeah. watching their brain. And then they cause that person to anticipate a story. Now, as little kids, we're taught yeah. to anticipate a story with once upon a time. Yes. And that once upon a time, even on adults, in that thing, they'd see the, the critical left brain shut down, the right brain opens up to a story. So we then went to Hollywood screenwriters and said, so how do you create a story? And they all use storyboards. Yeah. And I have a story arc and they have a hero. Yeah. And a so what, what great salespeople do is how teaching people how to build sales stories. Yeah. And there's different, there's three primary types of stories salespeople need. Yeah. The first one is the who I represent and why. Yeah. The story about their company, and why they decided to join their company. The second story is the who am I story, their personal story of their own personal journey. Because people want to deal with salespeople who are authentic and the paradigm is insincere. So there's one, one each of those two stories. The third story though, are the who I've helped stories. Yeah. And you might have dozens of those. And if, if you recall back to the story I told you of how I used to prospect, yeah, I, that was a who I've helped story. Can I share with you a story about another materials manager less than a mile from here who's now solved this problem? And let me jump on that, Mike, because there's two things that makes me think. One, what if, you, what if the company's new? It's like a startup tech business and therefore doesn't have any success stories yet brilliant question you ready for a brilliant answer please <laughs> you say well you know like that guy i was telling the story about he bought with no success stories true he now why did he buy because our manufacturing experts went out to him he was a big, big wig in Apex, the local American production and inventory control society. So we knew he was an advanced thinker. Mm. And we said, Ed, Xerox has been doing research into the problems of materials managers. Mm. And virtually all the materials managers we know mm. have problems with shortages, unfilled kits, too much inventory, da, 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 da. 
And Xerox has now created a way to da 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 da. Yep. And we are looking for our first customers. We're looking for innovators and early adopters who want to get a jump on their competition. Yeah. But so you basically tell the story of the product vision. Yes, I'm with Here's you. Here's the problems we see in the marketplace. Yes. Here are the capabilities that people need in order to solve those problems. Yes. We've created software that gives people those capabilities. Yeah. We're looking for innovators and early adopters. It's I magic. That. I love that. And I, I take it obviously you need, you know, you need to know the pain points and the challenges that these prospects face in order to have that success story ready, right? Right. And we can't rely on salespeople knowing those things, which is why we have the smartest people in the company yeah. build the diagnostic questions, the discovery questions, yeah. the visioning questions. Yeah. Salespeople should not be making up their own stories and yeah. they shouldn't be not be making up their own discovery questions. And I know, I know we spoke before this podcast began that you did some work with Dr. Neil Rackham. Uh, back in what was it the 70s 80s 1979 wow and okay xerox copier the big copier giant yeah they had a problem that was really bugging their senior management yeah and that was that 20 percent of their salespeople were bringing in 80 percent of the revenue yeah and okay. so what would happen <clears throat> they had heavy pressure to grow the company so if you have pressure to grow your company, what's the number one growth strategy? Hire more salespeople, yeah. right? So they would hire new salespeople, but now they'd say, well, who's gonna manage these new salespeople? Yeah. So what would they do? They'd promote their top yeah. sales superstars, Oops. take them out of the field, move them to a new city, and watch them crash and burn as managers. Oops. That happened to me. Yeah. Number one salesman in the company, they moved me across the country. I was the worst sales manager in the company the first year. And so they finally concluded, they hired Neil Rackham to solve that problem, to help figure out that problem. And um, Neil discovered I lost my train of thought here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint this picture. Because um, I know it was, the, it was the Pareto law, right? The 80-20 rule. Right, right. Yeah, and, 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 and over the years, when I started solution selling, my, my mission was to raise the bottom 80%. Yeah. The top 20% are doing fine. Yeah. They don't want to follow a process. They don't need to follow a pro process. But all my clients said, their top 20% got better yeah. because their top 20% knew how to connect intuitively and build trust. Yes. But now once they built that trust, instead of making up their own discovery questions, now they had discovery questions written by the smartest people in the company. Yeah. Yes. So their sales went up. Yes. So even though my mission was to raise the bottom 80%, the top 20% got much better and the bottom 80% quit using it because the buyers would push them away. But the number one takeaway from Neil Rackham was he discovered accidentally in doing this research on the Xerox Salesforce 
and he actually was hired to follow the top 20% around and see what do they do differently than everybody else. So he was trying to build a behavioral model yeah. based on the top 20%. But here's the weird thing he discovered. Back then, Big Xerox, four times a year, they'd hire a new batch of college graduates from the premier schools, because Xerox was a premier company back then. They put them through six weeks of product training and copiers and typewriters and fax machines and whatever, push them out and say, go sell for Xerox. And they plot their performance. And over the first 18 months, they get better and better and better and better and better. At 18 months, each class, you could set your watch by it, they would peak and go and start nice going time. downhill. Yeah. And what, what he discovered was, is it took them 18 months to develop true solution expertise for yes. what they were selling. Yes. Solution expertise meaning that if you're the buyer and you start to tell me about a problem, then I know which Xerox solution will help you solve that problem. Yes, yes. So the problem is until they develop solution expertise, they have to keep asking questions. Yep. Yeah. Once they develop, once they reach their solution expertise, now they shoot themselves in the foot because the buyer would get four words out of his mouth about his problem and the salesperson would go, oh, we see that all the time. Yeah. This is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. Here's what you need. Yeah. We have this product in our thing. Here's our contract. Press yeah. hard three copies. Yeah. And they would... I called it premature elaboration. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Where they hear just a little nugget of the problem and they yeah. start saying, here's what you need to do. I even did a TED talk on that. And uh, most human beings don't like to be told what they need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That you need phrase is a killer of salespeople. Yeah. And in my workshops, I would say to everybody, I say, how many of you are in a permanent romantic relationship? And 80%. And I say, all right, on the next break, call your partner and try two to three you need to's on him or her and see how they respond. Yeah, absolutely. I love and so that. they come back and they say, all right. So I said, if you're, if the person who in theory loves you the most, won't yeah. take it from you. Yeah. Why would your prospect? Great point, Mike. Great point. I could talk all day about this. I love it. Where, where can my listeners access your, your three books and some of the great content I know you put out there? The easiest way is type in MikeBosworth.com and that will take you to our latest website, the Story Seekers website. Amazing. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I, I, I love your stories, my friend, and I know that's your, your expertise. And, and I know I've taken so much. I know my listeners will to really understand what it takes now to be a successful solution seller. So thank you so will much. You, uh, will you give me a link to this podcast? Of course I will, my friend. Of course I will. Right. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me your time again. And uh, stay safe. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye.